Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top 1000 Funds podcast collaboration with the PRI, Sustainability in a Time of Crisis. This new series is brought to you with support of Rubico, and I'm Amanda White, editor of top1000funds.com. The COVID-19 global health and economic crisis has highlighted the need for leadership and capital to be urgently targeted towards the vulnerabilities in the global economy. The issues of sustainability have never been more important, and it's an essential time for investors to be collaborating for better corporate behaviours and economic outcomes. Consider, for instance, the role now of stewardship and human capital as a priority, the deepening inequality and the associated social unrest, supply chain risks, how COVID-19 has highlighted the urgent need for action on climate change, and the need for SDG alignment around global health risks and opportunities. In this series, we're going to look at all of these issues, as well as the actions that investors can take to ensure the recovery is a sustainable one. For this first episode, I'm joined today by CEO of the PRI, Fiona Reynolds, and Claudia Cruz, who's Managing Director, Global Responsible Investment and Governance at APG. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Amanda. So we're living in very extraordinary times. How are you both holding up? How are you doing? Um, Well, I have to say I have my good days and bad days about isolation, but I think at the end of every day I remind myself that I'm really one of the lucky ones. I have a full-time job that I can do from home and I work in a really supportive organisation and I'm healthy and all I really have is a bit of inconvenience to my, my social life. Um, but I think on the other side of that, it, that also really drives me on as I think as we'll talk today, what we're, what we're seeing throughout this crisis is there's really a two-speed virus. You know, some of us can work at home, we can homeschool kids, but there's tens of millions of people who've lost their jobs and their livelihoods and, um, you know, we've also got those people who are on the front line or worse, those who've lost their lives. And that's not even touching on what's happening in um, developing countries that have little or no national health or social security. So when I'm feeling a little bit down about it all, I remind myself of the reality of what's happening in my life. Claudia, what about you? Yeah, beautifully put, Fiona. I think that's really that, that's really what it is about to um, remind oneself of the diversity and experiences that everyone has, and that um, on the whole, one can count oneself very lucky for being able to do what one does. So, Fiona, thank you so much for your support on this series. There are so many issues arising during due to this crisis. It's great to have the PRI involved and working together. You've written about how this crisis is actually a great opportunity for change and presents a chance for effective collective investor action. How do you see that unfolding and what examples have you seen already of effective collective action? Sure. Well, first of all, I also want to say that I'm delighted to be partnering with Top 1000 on this series. And second, I'm really glad to be doing our first podcast with all women, which is fantastic and even better but with women who I both like and admire, which is an added bonus. So I think when it comes to the crisis, as the saying goes, you should never waste a good crisis and that that goes for this pandemic. So people are 
constantly talking about wanting to get back to normal. And I understand that. But if we take a step back, I think we have to look at what normal is. And to me, normal is a planet that is struggling with man-made climate change, you know, an emissions trajectory that's well above three degrees when we know we have to keep the world to 1.5 degrees of warming, growing inequality within developed countries, which is causing lots of political and social instability, huge health and wealth issues in developing countries, 40 million people in some form of modern slavery, and the list goes on and on and on. So to me, what we need to see is a new normal, a new social contract be formed, and we need to, as they're saying, the catch cry is we need to build back better. So I think what I'm seeing from collective action in the investment community in that investors are really trying to have a strong voice in response to COVID-19. Within the PRI, we formed two groups um, working on short-term issues in response to COVID-19 and also looking at longer-term issues from the pandemic. And I'll talk more about these in the discussion. But collectively, I think we're really seeing investors provide great support for good long-term sustainable companies, strong engagement around human capital management, investors really wanting to understand what crisis management plans are in place for companies, but also wanting to know what companies are doing to support their employees, their suppliers, their, their supply chains. And I think investors are also sending some really strong signals around issues like executive pay, giving early warning that we don't want to see you, you know, take stimulus money, for example, and then see huge pay increases and executive bonuses as we did see after the global financial crisis. I think investors are also being understanding about dividend payments and the need to hold these back or cut them in some cases where there's a genuine need. So keeping an eye on the longer term is what I'm seeing the investment community do or the responsible investment community anyway and encouraging companies to remain focused on the long term. Um, I've been continuing to push for the need for us to see a much um, stronger focus on social issues for many years. And I think we are starting to see that emerge from, the, from this crisis, that there is a more human-centred approach and governments, business, investors are focusing more on human capital. I think that's a good thing. But mainly I think investors are really looking to be part of the solution. And I've been really pleased what I'm seeing. I think sustainability far from being pushed to the background is really front and centre um, in this crisis. And what I hope that we will find coming out of it is that responsible investment will become the only acceptable norm. So, Claudia, APG manages about 538 billion euro and is the largest investor in Europe. You've always been interested in collaboration with other investors. What are you doing with regards to a united front and pushing for change collectively on the issues related to this current crisis? Yeah, thank you, Amanda. I think Fiona set the stage very nicely. We have also a signatory to the PRI's investor statement on the COVID response. And um, our activities are very much focused on continuing with collective engagement with our investee companies, for example, in the Netherlands, despite AGMs being postponed or going 
uh, going online, we continue the collective engagement to, to really focus on corporate governance change. And uh, we are also a member of the Human Capital Management Coalition. Now, the 28 global investors representing over $4 trillion in assets are actively engaging with companies on human capital management. And for example, we have uh, written to the chairman of Amazon since Amazon announced its plans to spend approximately $4 billion in the second quarter 2020 on coronavirus-related expenses. And as shareholders, we would like to understand the impact of these measures. Climate change remains a very high priority for us. And uh, through Climate Action 100+, Plus, we have been engaging with Shell for years. Most recently, Shell announced that it wants its product chains to be climate neutral by 2050. That has been a very strong collective engagement by investors. We are also, through the IIGCC Portfolio Alignment Initiative, we are working with over 70 investors and asset owners to define Paris alignment for listed equity and corporate bonds, sovereign bonds, real estate, and strategic asset allocation. Again, in the absence of definitions that would really help Paris alignment in the long term, we are collaborating. Then just today, we will be announcing that the carbon risk real estate monitor, the so-called CREM, which is developing decarbonization pathways for the global real estate sector and a tool to identify and manage transitions risks for individual assets. Now, this initiative was funded by APG, PGDM and Nordis Bank Investment Management and received further support from Japan's Government Pension Investment Fund, GPIF, and Ivanhoe Cambridge. As a large investor in real estate, we strongly believe that collaboration here is the key, and we have seen the success already through the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. We are, of course, as a large investor, we allocate capital, and the market appreciates it when investors are clear about their expectations. We had previously drawn up guidelines around green bonds, and we have since built on that and drawn up guidelines to make clear to the market, issuers and accompanying banks, what our expectations are when it comes to COVID-19 bonds expenses and the assessment as green bond or SDIs. It's really looking at the use of proceeds and what we would contribute, uh, what we would consider positive contributions and we've developed sector by sector yeah, guidance around this. Sounds like uh, the typical leadership that we have come to expect from APG in terms of collaboration and, and, and front-footedness. Thanks Claudia for that summary. You mentioned active ownership which is sort of one of three areas of focus for APG's sustainability uh, campaign. So active ownership, ESG integration and investing in solutions that contribute to the SDGs. Let's focus a little bit on active ownership and you mentioned the AGM season in particular and clearly physical distancing has had a big impact on that and we've now got virtual AGMs. Are you participating in that specifically or are you going to participate in that and do you think that it will work and investors have the same impact via technology that they could in, in person? Yeah, interesting question, Amanda, because I mean, many AGMs have gone digital, but we don't really consider them virtual, but one-way webcam AGMs. You know, a virtual AGM would entail voting and a two-way dialogue, 
which the current AGMs don't. We have participated in about 10 webcast AGMs and sometimes also in advance put forward the questions that we had as part of a collective engagement. But of course, you know, the, the, the votes would have all been cast in advance. Now, in our view, the AGMs as they are currently, you know, that can only be an interim solution as the interaction between the board and especially retail investors is important. Moreover, it is also important for collective engagement. Now, virtual cannot replace physical, but uh, we've seen that a combination of both, a so-called hybrid model, um, is already working quite well in China. However, such hybrid models, they do require companies and boards to be innovative. We've also, as a global investor, seen marked differences in country approaches. In North Asia, AGMs largely went ahead, whereas in other markets, we've seen more postponements or webcast AGMs. So in the, in, indeed, I think it's an interesting moment in time to see whether we move towards an area where both physical and two-way virtual meetings will be facilitated. Fiona, at the PRI, what are, what are you advising signatories that they should be focusing on in the AGM season? Do you think there's a specific opportunity to fast-track this move towards more purposeful companies? Um, well, on purposeful, purposeful companies, I definitely think that shift was already underway and that will just continue. Um, we put out a bulletin to our signatories last month on actions to take on a sustainable recovery. And some of the key themes were obviously understanding the very real and difficult situations that some businesses find themselves in. And let's be realistic, some are really fighting for their survival. And I think that, you know, we were trying to send a strong message that we are here to be part of the solutions, not part of the problems. And recommended that we ensure that that all investors ensure really that companies had strong crisis management plans in place and were implementing them. That we engage with companies though that are failing in their crisis management. That really we needed to sit back and reprioritize engagement on other topics just in the short term as companies deal with the immediate impacts of the pandemic and let's give them the space to be able to do that. Doesn't mean the other issues are off the agenda. Let's just understand what's really happening. But as investors, we needed to really support an economy-wide response. Participate in virtual AGMs, and Claudia spoke about some of the some of the problems. So you know, you really need to make sure that companies have got the right setup. But do their rules allow them to have virtual AGMs? Has the countries changed their rules if that's um, needed? And then, how do you make sure that investor voices are actually heard within these virtual AGMs? As Claudia mentioned, is it just webcasting uh, some speeches, or is it actually? and a proper engagement. And of course, they've been focusing again on the human capital side, what's happening with companies, supply chains and suppliers. And so um, the next step for that within the PRI is we're working with investors to finalise a guide on questions to ask, so the, the sustainability questions to ask throughout the AGM season, and as well as giving some guidance about how to navigate the virtual AGM 
season that we'll put out um, this month, this week. Great. Let's just uh, shift focus uh, for a little bit. Claudia, earlier this year, ABP set out its sustainability and responsible investment plan for 2025, which sets out a long-term goal in line of a climate-neutral economy by 2050 and the short-term steps to achieve that. In this crisis environment, I'm really interested in how investors are tackling these competing timeframes. And Fiona kind of alluded to it as well, you know, managing the short-term and the long-term. Claudia, can you give us a feel for how that's being tackled at APG and have you repositioned the portfolio at all because of that potential sort of more focus on the short-term? Yeah, APG as an institution, we have a very long-term horizon. And institutions like us, we really see three key issues that we have to deal with in the face of the pandemic. So when the crisis started, the core focus was on liquidity because clients have a core obligation to provide pension payments. Secondly, asset allocation in the face of the severe market dislocations. And thirdly, the alpha story to ensure that the active strategies and risk management procedures are on top of the crisis. But for asset managers with long-term horizons, the current market dis disruption certainly creates short-term problems, but our investment horizons necessitate that we stick to strategic vis vision that we and our investment approach as we have it outlined. That means, for example, that of course, with regard to the carbon neutral ambition, that we're very much uh, continuing with working towards 2050, but with some very clear intermediate steps. We are a large investor in private markets. And of course there, we have uh, very much focused on the existing holdings, partnerships and platforms that we have established you know, to look at where there might be liquidity issues or where we might have to reserve capital for recapitalizing platforms, because we definitely want to continue to support them in the future. But at the same time, we are also focusing on making new investments, on seeking opportunities. And that, I think, is what we as a long-term investor are here to do. And we set out a plan to hire an additional 100 people, of which 70 would be in portfolio management, including also some additional people in the responsible investment and governance team. And we are continuing to hire them throughout 2020 and 2021, which I think you know, is evidence of, the, of keeping the focus on the long term. So specifically with regard to the carbon neutral objective can you run us through that plan and and how important it's been to have that both that long-term objective and the short-term medium-term plans to implement them can you give us a, a few uh, kind of key elements of what your plans are yeah indeed so we want to be climate neutral in 2050 and Paris aligned in 2030 and uh, while more investors have similar commitments, there's no sort of method or stand standard yet as to the definition, definition and measurement of these. So therefore, we are working very actively with over 70 investors and asset owners to define the Paris alignment under the IIDCC Portfolio Alignment Initiative. And we've been leading in the Netherlands the investor 
the investors' uh, contribution to the National Climate Agreement. And as part of that, all financial institutions will have to set 2030 targets, which will be announced in 2022. And that is what we are working towards, to set these very clear, measurable targets. At the same time, we have a, a strong focus on scenario um, analysis with regard to climate change. And we are also, we have already communicated that we will reduce our carbon footprint for listed equity further to minus 40% by 2025 over 2015. Likewise, we are working on phasing out our exposure to coal mining and tar sands against defined revenue thresholds. And we want to have 15 billion invested in SDG 7 on clean energy by 2025. So there are some very concrete targets, which I think focus on the dimensions of risk, but also very strongly on the dimension of investing in opportunities and in solutions to help address climate change um, and, and broader challenges. Thank you. Uh, Fiona, you've also been working with signatories and, and you know your signatories are large and small asset owners and large and small asset managers. And as you mentioned, you've been working with them on the sort of short-term and the long-term priorities. What are you hearing about all signatories, from all signatories, about the focus in the short-term specifically? Yeah, so um, on the short-term, a lot of it's really been about, it's been quite good to see investors come together because this is quite, you know, a new and unique situation for them. So people wanting to learn from each other and understand what people are doing. A lot of it's been really around... Um, engagement. So how is the engagement going with companies? What are people finding and sharing sort of information? Also um, really trying to wrap your head around the AGM season. We've touched a lot uh, along those issues, but the virtual AGMs, are they working? How do we really have um, a voice? What questions should we be asking on ESG issues? So that's sort of been the short term. I think the other big theme that came out on the short term, which is both a short term and a long term issue, has been around climate change. And Claudia already touched on it. But early on, you know, commentators, I had so many people in the media saying to me and to others, well, um, this is going to mean that climate's going to be completely off the agenda and that COP26 being postponed was just a case in point to prove that it was no longer a priority. And so a lot of discussion around how we keep climate on the agenda. But I have to say, I think that, you know, really what we're seeing is that um, we've, we've still had major announcements. Claudia talked about Shell, but we've also seen Total come out with net zero announcements during the shutdown, showing that companies are still focused on climate and that engagement is still happening. Then I think at the government level, I mean, I've been involved just in the last two weeks in discussions with the UK government um, in terms of things around TCFD, what they're doing on climate, talking, um, I'm talking to the Environment Committee this week in the UK. Other staff members have been involved in discussions with the EU on climate issues. 
Climate Action 100 plus engagement still happening. Um, we're, we're involved in the Asset Owner Alliance, which is a group of asset owners who have committed themselves to net zero. All of that work is still continuing and hasn't dropped away. I think it's more that there's just additional things that have been added to the um, uh, agenda. And then, you know, when we look at the sort of the longer-term group, we've been focusing on um, what a sustainable recovery will look like. And from the discussions that have happened in those two groups, we've now put together sort of five different work streams. So just really quickly, one will cover COVID-19 and the AGM response, which I've already talked about. The next is going to look at immediate human and labour rights concerns. So focus on what good practice actually looks like because I think COVID-19 has again highlighted really those issues around a lot of workers, particularly gig economy workers. We know the issues, but, you know, they don't have the same sort of social protections that others have. And some of them don't even have access to sick leave, which is a real problem when you're having a pandemic and that should go without saying, so why do we have this? And then we've got a group on a sustainable green and inclusive recovery and reform. So what would, you know, criteria be for the bailout? One on financial system functioning in a time of crisis would be a bit of a reflection. And the other group we're putting together is looking at emerging markets because I think um, emerging markets are obviously, if we think that we're having problems in developed markets, emerging markets are, are having far many more problems. We want to um, really start discussing that and what the uh, and what could we do in helping as investors in emerging market situations. So that's really been the type of discussion that's been going on within the signatory base. Thanks, Fiona. Um, yeah, it's really interesting this uh, what a sustainable recovery might look like and, you know, from where I sit this is a real chance to address some of the failings in the processes and behaviours in the allocation of capital but is that going to happen or are we just going to go back to the same old way of doing things, you know? I mean, it, how can we make sure that this actually is a moment and that that's captured um, and that everyone kind of comes along for the ride and, and wants to make change? Have you got any views on that sort of more philosophical kind of uh, angle? Oh, well, I think we absolutely, as I said earlier, let's not just go back to the norm because the normal was not really functioning particularly well. There was many, many problems. So I think we really have to think about the, the stimulus packages in particular um, and how they are used. I mean, I think that if we're going to use taxpayers' money and investors are, you know, being encouraged to provide capital as well to stimulate the economy, then we really have to ask the question is, if that stimulus money should be used to bail out, you know, old brown and unsustainable sectors that really don't have a long-term future. And then if I think we also need to look at other sectors, and I'm just going to use the airlines as an example, you know, should every airline be bailed out? And if we are going to, say, um, bail out airline sectors, the aviation sector, then I think there needs to be conditions attached 
to certain sectors. So, okay, if you get this money, then the conditions of that needs to be that we see you provide a net zero plan. We want to know what your plans are to keep the world in line with the Paris Agreement. I think that has to be key. I also think that we need to look at um, the tax system as well. So one question to me is, should we use taxpayers' money to bail out companies who actually don't pay any tax in our countries? Uh, and that's a really interesting question because we know so many um, countries, so many companies, I should say, actually don't pay tax. Um, I also think that it's a really good chance to look at some reform in the tax system in the future, uh, as clearly we're going to have to work out as governments around the world how we pay for all the debt that's been incurred. And um, I think that it's time to then think about tax and how companies go about tax and how we get better tax, um, tax transparency and country-by-country country reporting. So... Um, I see it as a really key opportunity to make significant changes and to put sustainability far more at the centre of finance. I think we're seeing good conversations happen in some countries. So in the EU, there's discussions about the stimulus being aligned to the EU, you know, Green, green New Deal. In the UK, there's lots of discussions happening about that. I'm not sure that where the discussions are at other places in, in the world. But from our point of view, I think this is going to be a high priority and making sure that, you know, in, investors do have a strong say in all of these issues and that we push governments around the world to put sustainability at the centre of the um, crisis. Otherwise, what, what are we going to do? Just We're just creating problems upon problems rather than solving you know, problems. I recognise that this is not an easy issue for governments. They um, have got so much on their plate, but this I think is critical. Fiona, if I had a cheer button now that I could press, I'd, I'd, I'd press it now for you. Um, Claudia, what are your views on this in terms of the sustainable recovery and, and you know, this opportunity to address some of the failings in the processes and behaviours in the allocation of capital? Yeah, I also applaud um, Fiona and the PRI for, for the leadership they, they show in this area. We are quite um, closely involved uh, with uh, some of the, or with quite a lot of the work of the PRI. And perhaps if I can add from our perspective of a large investor, I think it's very much about allocating capital. So we've invested over 400 million euros in so-called corona bonds since the end of March. And, uh, you know, the financing of which is used to combat the COVID-19 pandemic and its consequences. And I think it's interesting when you look at uh, what we've invested in. It was uh, issued by the World Bank targeting or the use of the funding as an emergency aid package to affected countries. Or the Nordic Investment Bank was the first one to come out and is looking at the expansion of healthcare and social security and support for businesses. Or another one about loans to small, medium, and large European companies, with, which was issued by the EIB. And I do think there's a real opportunity for investors to work with, might it be development finance institutions or other multilateral bodies, to really help design instruments 
that we as investors can invest in, as large institutional investors, because thereby we can allocate capital to where it is needed for a sustainable recovery. Likewise, the issue of tax is one that is also on our agenda. ABP has announced that it is uh, reviewing its approach to tax and um, with regard to the companies that we invest in. And we've actually formed a collaborative engagement group around this topic. So that's no doubt, I think, as a topic will rise in, import will rise in importance. But likewise, we are a long-term partner for the companies we invest in. And the focus right now is very strongly on helping sustain them through the crisis and to achieve, achieve a fair distribution of the COVID impact between government, asset owners, management, with staff protected as far as economically possible. And I think that will continue to remain a focus for us. Thank you. So I was just, I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, we've all had a bit of time as we've been working at home to perhaps rethink the way we contribute to and participate in the economy. Um, you know, do we need to go to restaurants all the time? Do we need to consume uh, as much as we do? And what, what are the impacts of that, of that in terms of, you know, working from home? Are we going to focus more effort and um, money uh, on healthcare workers, for example, as opposed to other, other parts of the economy? I guess the point I'm trying to get to is, is how do you both see that global economy has changed and will change? And what are the sort of ongoing changes because of the change practices that we've all experienced because of social distancing? And what might the future look like because of that? Well, I think that one of the pleasing things that I've seen is that as opposed to the global financial crisis of just over, you know, a decade ago, and we were all around for the global um, financial crisis, I do think this has been a far more human-centred approach. Now, not universally, not every government, not every company, not every investor, but in the main, I think that lessons have been learned from the global financial crisis. And we're seeing that this is this response in many countries has been how we support business, but also how we support the workforce. And I think that has been absolutely essential in getting people to stay at home, for example. I mean, who's going to be able to stay at home if they aren't still getting some support for um, payments to be able to feed their family, etc. So I've really been really pleased about that change. On a sort of more micro level, I do think that work is going to change. I don't think that while we'll certainly reopen our office and we will always have an office, etc. even for the PRI, I don't think we'll ever go back to working the way that we have, that we have. I think we will be different and I think many other organisations will be different. But I think overall what I'm seeing is that there's a greater understanding from people and this is where I think sustainability comes in and the work that's been done on sustainability is starting to uh, you know um, 
play out in front of our eyes because I think people are starting to see the interconnectedness of things, the interconnectedness of people, you know, planet and profit. And then if you don't have a healthy planet and if you don't have healthy people, then you cannot have a healthy economy and you can't have healthy companies. And I think that mindset will continue. I also think that people, are, and if I use the UK because that's where I live as an example, what flowed on from the global financial crisis was extreme austerity measures that had only just started to be lifted. And I don't think that they anything like that will be accepted. I think the general public is prepared to take some pain as long as that pain is shared. And what we saw after the global financial crisis was lots of austerity measures for the general people, but then we still saw that... Um, bank executives were getting huge bonuses and things like that. And I think the other thing is that we're only going to be able to get out of this if we work together. So we have to take a whole of economy approach. So it has to be government, business, investors and civil to, civil to society working together. So lots of positives. I think the only thing that I'm concerned about at the moment is really about what's happening with sort of multilateralism because our companies going countries sorry and companies within those countries are countries going to be all focused on how am I just fixing my economy? What am I doing to um, get my workforce back? How am I trying to have an edge rather than uh, trying to all work together? And we've seen a bit of that with the um, with how they've responded for the pandemic. More positives than negatives, but a few a few things that I'm worried about. I think that could be the topic of a whole other episode, Fiona, actually, that multilateralism. Claudia, what about you? What, what do you see in terms of the global economy shifting and sort of the permanency of some of those shifts? Yeah, you know, the corona crisis is clearly accelerating several long-term trends, especially digitalization. And it has to do with the way all of us are accustomed to working remotely, but it also, of course, will have to do with uh, changing consumer preferences and changing business models. ABP's new policy focuses on three key transitions, the energy and climate transition, digital and uh, resource scarcity or natural resources. So we will really continue to focus on understanding and monitoring the digitalization trend in terms of what it means from a risk perspective, in particular with regard to human rights, to privacy, et cetera, but also the ability of companies to manage the uh, accompanying technology risks, but also looking into what kind of investment opportunities are associated with that and how can we support through our infrastructure exam investments, for example, the, the digital transition. Likewise, you know, we may see a turning point in globalization. And all of those trends, they will impact companies and their stakeholders. And how a company manages its stakeholders and the diversity of stakeholders will become ever more crucial to determining its business success. 
And that, of course, will, will be a key area for us in terms of the engagement um, that we that we will that we will do with companies. And um, is is support supportive of uh, Fiona's point about there being a whole society response to the sustainable recovery. So I think both of your organisations, uh, and and you've demonstrated on this on this episode that both of your organisations are taking leadership positions and and have done already a great deal uh, to ensure a sustainable recovery. If you had one sort of parting message for the investors listening, what would you encourage them to be doing now to ensure that we do actually have a sustainable recovery? So mine would be that we need to make sure that we keep our eye on the long term And we've discussed that, but I think that is absolutely key. And I would also say that responsible investors need to have a seat at the table so that we're getting our messages and the messages of the long-term and sustainability um, out there and to government. So we need to make sure we have a loud voice. We've got a lot to add. We know a lot about sustainability. And, we again, we need a seat at the table. For me, it would be you know, allocate capital as if it matters and focus on both the local and the global. Now, we are a pension investment manager and we invest on behalf of 4.5 million Dutch people. And there is a strong focus from, for example, ABP about investing into the transition in the Netherlands where its own beneficiaries live. But at the same time, we also have to focus on collaborating with global investors, for example, through the Global Investors for Sustainable Development, on how we can allocate capital in a global context to contribute. So really keep in mind, where can you be part of the solution? Well, you've both been very generous with your time. It's been a delight to speak with you, both of you, as always. I'd like to thank once again Rubico in supporting us in this series and to the PRI in partnering with us on this project. Thank you very much and thank you both Fiona and Claudia. Uh, Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Claudia. And uh, thanks, everyone. Stay healthy and well. Thank you all.